Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Amen. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. I heard a, a, a story, I read an article, it was entitled, The Story of My Divorce. He said, why did I get divorced, you ask? Well, last week was my birthday, and my wife didn't get me a present and didn't even wish me a happy birthday. My parents forgot, and so did my kids. I went to work, and even my coworkers didn't wish me a happy birthday. As I entered my office, my secretary said, happy birthday, boss. And that moment, I felt so special. She then asked me out for lunch, and after lunch, she invited me to her apartment. We went there, and she said, do you mind if I go into my bedroom for a minute? Okay, I said. She came out five minutes later with a birthday cake. My wife, my parents, my kids, my friends, and my colleagues all yelling, surprise, while I was waiting on the sofa in my birthday suit. Can you say no bueno? <laughs> Stupid husband. Okay. Again, uh, we are in a final message on, uh, in a series that we're calling Focus on the Family, based on two scriptures that, say, that we've been talking about, John 10.10. 10. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is talking. He's talking about Satan. He is alive and well today, if you haven't figured that out yet. He says, I came so that, but he said, but I've come that they might have a real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Amen? And then in Romans, the Apostle Paul gives us these instructions under the, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 18, he says, do everything possible on your part to live in peace with, help me out, someone. And we already established that everybody includes our family, right? Includes our husbands, our wives, our kids, our children. So the Bible says just do your part to live in peace with everyone. So God wants us all to experience a better life. And we already established that you don't necessarily have to be married to have a better life, but you do have to be committed to Jesus. Amen? You have to be committed to him and then also do your part. Because if you're committed to Jesus, there's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of foolishness you will avoid. I was telling someone just the other day, he was telling me her dad is getting into all sorts of nonsense, and he's an atheist. And I said, well, that's his problem. If he was committed to Jesus, he'd avoid a whole lot of nonsense because the Holy Spirit's never going to lead you into foolishness. Amen? Amen? You may end up there. But don't blame it on God, Amen. all right? Don't blame it on the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, one of the ways that the Father tries to give us a better life is through the ordained institution of marriage, of marriage. And so the title of this morning's message is The Marriage Roles, plural. The Marriage Roles, because it takes two. Someone say, it takes two. It takes two. Unless you're in Utah and it takes one. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Now, today, we know that marriage gets a bad rap, uh, with many opting out, as we saw last week, with more than half the population now. We finally hit that tipping point. More than half the population who are single or single again, many with no intention of getting married. But I want to suggest to you today that marriage is not only a good idea, it's a God idea. It's a God idea. Now, Genesis 2.18 says this, the very first book in the Bible, says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a suitable helpmate. And one chapter before that, a couple of verses, he says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Watch this. Male and female, he created them. Can we say just two? Just two genders. Stop getting fooled with all this nonsense. There's only two genders out there, male and female, okay? Then he says, God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so it's no wonder that the thief has targeted and I think successfully attacked this institution with all sorts of nonsense. And it has devastating consequences. Now let me give you just a few numbers. I've shared this before. But they're still consistently true today. $112 billion a year. $112 billion a year. What does that represent? That's the cost of, to taxpayers a year due to divorce and caring for unwed mothers. $112 billion a year. Let me give you another one. Only 2%. Say 2%. What is that? That's the percentage of people who will end up in poverty if, if, they, do these three, if they don't do these three things. Okay? They graduate high school, work a full-time job, postpone marriage and childbearing until age 21. So let me explain that again. If you graduate from high school, you work that job, and you postpone marriage and childbearing until you're 21, your chances of being in poverty, statistically, are only 2%. Only 2%. If you don't do all three of these things, your chances of, of ending up in poverty in this country rises to 77%. 77%. 77%. The Institute Institution says that if we had... The marriage rate today that we had in 1970, there would be a 25% drop in poverty. The Heritage Foundation says that marriage, that, that marriage drops the probability of a child living in poverty by as high as 82%. And so, and so the decline of marriage is complex, it's multifaceted. We have high divorce rates. Instead of getting married, there are people who are opting to cohabitate. And then there's the skyrocketing number of out-of-wedlock births, which hasn't changed over the last few years. I went ahead and Googled it and checked. It's still at 40% of all U.S. babies are born out of wedlock, compared to 1990, which was only 28%. Now, you might ask why. Well, we have the use of contraceptives and abortions, and the removal of the stigma associated with out-of-wedlock pregnancies. What do I mean by that? Well, in the past, when I was growing up, if you got a young girl pregnant, the, 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 it was expected that you were going to marry them. That was, that was what was going to happen. Now, the expectation is that they're going to terminate their pregnancy or raise their child by themselves. That's what's going on in our culture. And so all of these have contributed to the drop in marriage. And so marriage isn't elevated or celebrated in our culture anymore. In fact, it's the opposite. It's denigrated. But say what you want. All the overwhelming research shows that marriage brings greater financial stability to families. In fact, with single motherhood is the leading cause of poverty in our nation today. Single motherhood is the leading cause of poverty in our nation today. A few years ago, the New York mayor uh, at, at the time was Michael Bloomberg, and his human resource commissioner, Robert Doyle, was reported to be planning a campaign to promote marriage for the, he called it the outcome of the child. He was, he was doing a campaign to promote it for the outcome of the child. Why, why was he doing this? Because 70% of all the babies born in the Bronx at the time was born to unwed mothers, 70%. And then they were ending up in poverty and needing assistance. Now this coming from mostly women who are choosing to put themselves in unwed pregnancies, often during their teenage years and who have no means of financial self-sufficiency, nor any expectation or plan that the father will be a constant presence and a legal provider. I was at Subways this week. I rode my bike down there to, to get a sandwich, and as I was in there, the, I heard the girls behind the station who were making the sandwiches talking. They were talking about a fella. They said, such and such has six kids and four baby mamas. Six kids and four baby mamas. And so, I mean, I just heard them say it. I'm like, oh, excuse me, 
did you just say someone has six kids and four baby mamas? Is he a prince? Is he, does he have a harem? She said, no, he's 21 years old and he works here. What? At 21, he already has six kids and four baby mamas. Apparently, there's no shortage of teenage girls who are willing to step into that baby mama role. And so why marriage? Well, in 1970, 79% of the U.S. adults were married, and now it's, like we already said, it's at the tipping points, somewhere around 50%. What has been the backlash of the decrease in marriage? Well, we know it. We see it all around us. It's an increasing population of troubled kids, and at the same time, a growing, listen to me, a growing prison population. That's what's taking place. In fact, we just saw this, I'm going to call him a demon-possessed young man who shot up the school, okay? What's the one thing you're not hearing about this, this whole scenario? I hear about him shooting his mother, his grandmother in the face. I hear about his mother saying he's not a bad kid. What I'm not hearing about is, where's dad? Where's dad? Listen to me, the facts are staggering. Almost all prisoners, listen, almost all prisoners are from single parent or broken homes. Almost all of them. Now that doesn't mean that if that's your reality as it was in my, with mine, that, that you're gonna end up in prison. And I say this, if you let Jesus lead your life, you're never going to end up there, amen? amen. If you let him lead you and, and follow after him, God's got a plan for you that's beautiful. I promise you he's not going to lead you into doing something stupid. But statistically, that's what's going on in our population and our prisons today. And so with half the population unwed, we're now raising a generation which does not know what healthy marriage looks like and feels like and has absolutely no idea how to model it. That's why, you know, it's now a, a, a thing on the belt. I've got, you know, two baby mamas, three baby mamas. Are you taking care of any of them? Sadly, no. And it's all cyclical because this means their children will also be less proficient in relationship skills and the ability to use self-discipline to restrain impulses for the sake of another or, or to exercise forgiveness and seek reconciliation and so much more. And then you add to that, like, like, like we're seeing acted out on TV today from the Kardashians to Johnny Depp and his lovely bride, we have these celebrity modeling, and they send the wrong message. Now, now, when it's not totally imploding on itself, because no one seems to have a faithful bone in their bodies, they'll occasionally model adoption as something positive, and that's not bad. But more often than not, they instead of getting married, they'll cohabitate because their marriages only last about 10 minutes. So you've got all these unwed celebrity parents who make millions and millions of dollars in movies and clothing sales and whatever else they do, and they're sending the wrong message about marriage to those who live, listen to me, from paycheck to paycheck, which is most of everybody else. In other words, they, they can pay for a living nanny and drivers and cooks and living maids and a medical concierge, a, a doctor to come to their house. They don't have to even go. They can have some people just come to their house. But I mean, you know, the rest of us can't do that. So when 77% of the people are ending up in poverty surrounding this issue, someone ought to stand up and say, something is wrong. We're going in the wrong direction as a nation. And with 50% of all marriages in the U.S. going down in flames, I, I, think, I think as a culture, we, we, we are in trouble. Now, truth be told, there's something inside of a lot of men, being a guy myself, there's something inside of us that, tell the truth, a lot of times when we get something to put together, the first thing we're doing is not looking at the directions. Come on, somebody. <laughs> what do we do? We look at the picture. We can figure this out. So a few years ago, when my, when my son-in-law got a, uh, a stroller for one of the kids, and I was over the house, we did what guys do. We're going to put together this stroller based on the picture. 
well, hour and a half into this thing and nothing fitting properly, one of the ladies in the room says, well, why don't you just read the directions? <laughs> so reluctantly, we went over to the, to the box by the door, by the garbage, and dug out <laughs> the directions. And when we pulled the directions out, we sat down, we looked at it, and lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, reading the directions, it took about 10 minutes <laughs> to put the thing together. I'm talking to somebody out there today. Because again, marriage is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. But you may have to start fishing out and dusting off those Bibles to see how it all fits and what God expects you to do as far as your part. Amen? But before we jump into those individual roles, because we all have a role to play, let me just give you a reality check. It's your first filling. And this is what it is. Drum roll, please. All marriages have their challenges. Every single one. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a challenge in their marriage. You may think you're the only one. You are not. Take a deep breath now. Relax. So we all have room to grow, amen, and to make things better. The reason why we all have challenges is because we have two imperfect people coming together to form a oneness, and that isn't always Easy And so Paul's, as we learned last week, his advice, quite frankly, was, <laughs> as far as he's concerned, it's better to stay single. He says, if you have the gift of singleness. And why did he say that? He says, this way you can devote your life to the service of the Lord and not have the distraction of having to please someone else or the children or anything else. You can have undivided attention to following the Lord. But he recognizes that that's easier said than done. He says, for the rest of us, God, he says, gives us the gift of marriage. And the way you can tell if you have the gift of singleness or the gift of, uh, of marriage, Paul simply states, he says, it's better to marry than to burn with lust or the passion. In other words, when you see the, 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 you know, someone from the opposite sex and things start going inside of you, you do not have the gift of singleness. And so he gives advice in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9. He says, I wish everyone could, be, could get along without marrying, just as I do. But we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and cohabitate. Help me out, somebody. Is that what it says? They should just have friends with benefits. Help me. Help me out, somebody. Help me. I, I'm I, I, you're leaving me up here by myself. Help, what does it say? You should go ahead and... If you like it, then you better put a ring on it. Oh, 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 oh. He says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And he didn't stop there. He says, he gives instructions as to who to marry. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, he's talking to those who are single again because they've become widows. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Did he leave it there? No. He went on to say, but only if he loves the Lord. Only if he loves the Lord. So all marriages have their issues because they're two different people. And Paul says to make things less complicated, he says don't get married. But if you do get married because you don't have self-control and you don't have the gift of singleness, and I don't believe most people do, he says if you're going to get married, marry a believer. And that scripture pans that out. It bears that out. It says do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. 
because it considers you the temple of God. It says, what fellowship does the temple of God have with the temple of the world or, or the devil? And it, it uses Belial, but it's a, another term for the devil. So that's called an equal yoke. But the advice doesn't stop there because the Bible tells us not just who to marry or how to get married, but how to stay married and have things improve. And so the first thing, I want, the second thing I want you to write down is for marriages to work, there must be what the scripture calls mutual submission, mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As unto the Lord, submit to one another because you love Jesus. Amen? Now, submit means to yield or agree or to defer to. Now, practically, what is God asking us to yield or, or agree or to defer to? He's asking us, husbands and, and wives, to submit to those roles, defer to those roles as he has it written and the Holy Spirit has revealed. And then he spells it out for us in Ephesians 5.22. And let me just say this before I read the scripture. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying what the Bible says, okay? Don't send me no emails. If you don't like it, take it up with the Apostle Paul who said it under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care how much culture has changed, the Word of God hasn't. Ephesians 5.22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. One translation says, as unto the Lord. I heard a guy give an example. Just consider the Lord being over the right-hand shoulder. And it's not so much a submission to him, but it's a submission to the Lord. Amen? For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, Jesus. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And then it gives instructions to the husbands. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. The person who hates his own body and tries to commit suicide, we put them in psychiatric hospitals. We lock them up until they're better. The Bible says the two of you have become one. And to the husband, he says, treat your wife and love your wife the way you would uh, love your own body, taking care for it, taking care of it in the whole nine yards. So Paul is saying that marriage between a husband and wife is an earthly picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, a representation, if you will. And just like Father God used Jesus to perfect the church by his sacrifice, by the shedding of his blood, listen to me, God will use marriage to perfect us and to make us mature and, become, and to become like him. Again, what is Jesus like? What is he perfecting us to become like? Well, Jesus was more loving, more compassionate, more kind, more forgiving. Amen? He's called us to be all those things as men and women, as husbands and wives as mothers and fathers. Years ago, someone said to me, loving someone is never having to say you're sorry. And I thought about that for a moment because it just didn't ring true in my home, <laughs> my relationship, <laughs> okay? And as I've given it more thought over the time, over time, I get the concept, but I just know it's not true. I think it's almost the exact opposite. Only people who don't love never say they're sorry. You know why? Because you don't care about the other people's feelings. That's more what I see is the truth. 
But the moment you step into a relationship with two imperfect people, you start to realize that you might be rubbing that person the wrong way from time to time. And vice versa. And if you're not aware of what you're doing, just keep leaving the toilet seat up in the middle of the night. <laughs> or women, keep nagging him about his honeydews. And see what kind of response you get. Marriage and family are the perfect institution to practice the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we know what those are because the Bible spells them out. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me, add, let me just add forgiveness. And the church is the perfect vehicle to practice what the Bible calls the one another's. Because it's only in the context of the church that these things can take place. Love one another and pray for one another, and care for one another, and bear one another's burdens, and encourage one another, and forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Now, how many know the church is full of imperfect people? Someone told me that the other day. Pastor Rick, I found the perfect church. I told him, don't go. <laughs> because as soon as you get there, you're just going to mess it up. There are no perfect churches. Because the churches are full of imperfect people. So calm down. Someone else told me, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I always say, well, come on by. One more won't matter. <laughs> I'm just saying. We're, we're all people in progress, right? We're growing into the th in God's grace. And so loving someone or loving people gives us the perfect opportunity to become more Christ-like. But it's going to take mutual submission and each of us playing our part as unto the Lord. And in the marriage, he gives us ample opportunities to be kind and forgiving and to show compassion and love and to deal with each other's imperfections all by the grace of God. In fact, the Christian marriage should point people to the grace of God as we learn to love and respect each other. That becomes a powerful and attractive witnessing tool, first to each other, then to our children, and then to the world around us. Because we're modeling God's grace, and we, and we need his word and his grace to make it work. And so the Apostle Paul kind of simplifies this process enough for even the uber doll like myself, to understand and to make it work. A lot of people go to marriage conferences and they go to therapists and they go to all these sorts of things. Paul summed it up in really one verse. He says, husbands and wives, you only have to remember basically two things. One each, one thing for each of you if you want your relationship to work and to be blessed. Write this down. Be loving and respectful of each other. Love and respect. Ephesians 5.33, it says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Folks, it's getting quiet in here, but Paul summed it up to two words. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. That's a good scripture to memorize. You've got homework. Ephesians 5.33, that's your homework. Memorize it. And this is what love and respect looks like. And for the next few minutes, we're going to break some of that down. First, be a servant leader to each other. A servant leader to each other. Jesus made this bold statement in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. It says, but Jesus called them together and he said, he's talking to his disciples, this is on the eve of his own crucifixion. These are the things he wanted them to know. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, help me out somebody, servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. 
For even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others. And I gave, he says, I'm showing you, well, you, you saw what he did that evening. What did he do? He got on his hands and his knees, and he started washing the feet of his disciples. Now, washing the feet of people today wouldn't be a big deal because we all wear shoes. Back then, they wore sandals, and the roads were not paved. They were muddy. They were dirty feet. He took on the position of a slave or a servant in the house to give an example to his disciples. Many guys would say to me, well, they think the world of their wives would do anything for her. Yet she's not asking you to do anything too difficult. Take out the garbage. Help with the dishes. Help with the kids. Change the diaper. How about this? Just turn off the TV and have a conversation. Jesus gave it all for the church, and our family should be a top priority in, the ter in terms of importance and support and meeting their needs, not just financial and physical, but emotional as well. And for those who don't have that servant leader in the homes, the single mom, or even the married person who the, the husband or the wife is not quite there yet, they should be able to come to the church and find servant leaders. Amen? This should be the place where they find it as well. So be a servant leader. Let me tell you what else we need to be. We need to be understanding of each other. 1 Peter 3.7 says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. In the same way, you, you husbands must give honor to you, your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And I always have to explain when I get here, when it says that she may be weaker than you, it's not talking about intellectually. It's not talking about emotionally. In fact, it says she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. It's talking about physically. Generally speaking, men are stronger than women. And so he's saying, take that into consideration. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal. Now listen, this is what it says. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Oh my goodness, getting quiet in here. It didn't say your prayers will not be answered. He said, I'm not even listening to you. Will not be heard if you mistreat that gift that God has given you called your wife. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Does this include your family? It has to include your family. This tit for tat, I'm going to teach a lesson. I heard one lady, she got so upset with her husband because she wasn't doing his honeydew. She, she swept up the, the dirt that was coming off his feet and she put it in his bed. I'm like, how long have you been coming here? Can you rewind to one of my marriage um, <laughs> messages <laughs> and uh, not do that? That's not cool. But you, you don't understand what he, I don't care what he's done. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. How many of you know that... Uh, Somebody decided that they were going to use the church, the church backyard for dumping. I put it on Facebook. And I wanted to bless them. I wanted to bless them with a brick. <laughs> it doesn't mean bless them with a brick, right? It says that, that is what God wants you to do 
and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, is that anybody in here? You want to enjoy your life and see many happy days? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Someone say it takes work. The eyes, and this is why you want to do it, watch this. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who will do evil. And so verse 7 says to treat her with understanding, and it gives us instructions that we are to keep a tender heart toward each other. That means don't let your heart get hard because a hard heart leads to harshness. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly. In fact, do the opposite. Verse 11 said, search for peace. And then it says to work to maintain it. Newsflash. Marriage takes work. Marriage takes work. I'm grateful. I mean, every now and then you got people who get together and you, you found their yin to their yang, the peanut butter to your jelly. Everything just flows smoothly. But that's not my experience with most people. That little darling, that you know, handsome hunk of yours is going to get on your nerves at some point. It's going to take work. So let me suggest some things to you. Just because you're married, don't stop dating. Uh, let, me, let me clarify. Don't stop dating each other. <laughs> I'm not talking about someone else. Oh, my goodness, Pastor Rick said I'm not to stop dating. You heard him. <laughs> and be all the more intentional as the kids are coming so you don't get lost in what I call survival mode. Because when things go bad, they can get very bad. Proverbs gives us a dismal picture of how things will look when they go very bad. Proverbs 30, 21 says, under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. Listen, a servant who becomes a king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who's married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. You ever heard that statement, happy wife, happy life? This is where it comes from. But to the wife, it also says, Proverbs 14, 1, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Turn to someone and say, don't be foolish. Let me give you a couple of final thoughts. Be careful what you say. Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We've, we've already established that sticks and stones myth. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's not true. Sticks and stones could break my bones, and words could break your spirit. Be careful what you say. And then be teachable. In 1 Samuel 25, 17, it gives an example. It says, now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster's hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. And who is it referring to? This is the story of Nabal and Abigail in the Bible. You remember that story? And, the, and Nabal has become, the, the name Nabal has become synonymous with the word fool because David and his men were taking care of them in the field night and day. They were protecting them. And at some point they came and asked them for water or something like that. And foolish Nabal, basically in today's modern vernacular, cussed them out, which only set David off. And he was heading to their house to wipe them out. And so this is the servant 
talking to Abigail, the uh, neighbor's wife, referring to her husband. He, he's, in his comments, he's brought uh, a potentially disaster, not just on you, but on his whole household. And you saw what she did to, to bring wisdom to the situation. But interesting, it says, he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Don't be so in your own head that no one can say anything to you. The, the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. There's a young lady who's been getting counsel, and she's just angry at how her parents have treated her, and she's now in her 30s, and she's still singing the Somebody done me wrong song, and I suggested, and then she's angry because she keeps getting the same advice. <laughs> uh, you need to forgive them. You've survived. <laughs> Turn it over to Jesus. And the church is so inconsiderate. And they keep giving bad advice. Let me suggest to you something. If you're hearing the same advice over and over again, from godly people, it might be the Lord. Romans 12, 2, we're familiar with this verse. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's word for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now I come up with a bonus one. It's not on your outline, but it's going to be on your overhead. And it's simply be wise. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore, help me, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And let me explain. Anything worth having is worth working for and fighting for, and marriage is no different. Amen? And it may not be perfect, but all other models out there in comparison in terms of long-term intimacy and companionship and security and even sex, I can say that in church, right? Yeah, I can. Doesn't even compare to what marriage has for it. You know the cliche, the, the husband and the wife, they finish watching Homeland the wife puts on a flannel pajamas, tells the husband she has a headache. They both roll over to the opposite sides of the bed and they fall asleep. But the statistics tell a different story. Listen, over 85% of married couples in their late 20s have, have intercourse at least a few times a month compared to 35% of singles. I'm not trying to upset the singles out there, but I'm just letting you know, according to a survey by Kinsey Institute, marriage is a good idea. God. Now, now, having said that, it's, it's hard work because we have different needs. And I'm going to give you a little bonus because somebody went ahead and did the math and they figured out what the top five needs of men are and the top five needs of women. You can write this down somewhere. Even if you're single and you're planning on getting married again, this is going to be important for you to know. Top five needs, can we start with, who should we start with? Should we start with the guys or the girls? We're going to start with the guys. We're going to get them out the way. Top five needs of men. Sexual fulfillment. Anybody surprised about that? No surprise there. Recreational companionship. An attractive spouse. Domestic support. and personal admiration. Now let me say something about that. Your, your husband needs to know regularly from your mouth that you think he's the cat's meow. <laughs> Even if he's like me, balding and getting a little chubby around the wayside. Maybe you don't look the way you lived when you were in your 20s and 30s. He still needs to hear it. You know why? He's either going to hear it from you or he's going to hear it from someone else. Amen. Let him hear it from you. <laughs> I'm here from you, all right? Now, let me give you the top five for the ladies. Ready? Affection. 
cuddling, ah, conversation, okay, openness and honesty and trust, financial support, and family commitment. Now, what isn't even on her top five list? I'm just saying. So be wise and understand that God made us radically different, more so on the inside than even on the outside. And don't make the mistake of saying, well, I'm okay. I'm fulfilling one or two. He or she should be happy. Let me suggest something to you. I want you to go home, all you married folks, and play a game called, they call it male, uh, male order partner. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, give me your top 20 um, you know, things that you, that you would like to see in a, in a mate. And when they give you the top 20 things that they would like to have in a mate, whether it's handsome or protective, because I'm not even going to suggest that this is everybody's list. This was what most commonly came through. Handsome, good pay, patience, whatever, sex, loyalty, whatever it is. Now, once you get that list, Turn to that spouse and say, honey, from this list, if you can just give me five, what would they be? Now, when you narrow that down to the top five, listen to me, that top five represents your, your mate's five top felt needs. Now, someone might say, try to stop me here because because you've so romanticized marriage into something that sounds pretty good but isn't practical. Pastor, it's, it's not about what you get, it's about, it's about what you give. Well, let me tell you something, it's, it's both. It's both, because I promise you, when I was looking for love, <laughs> I was looking for someone who was gonna make me happy. Honestly, so are you, all right? You want that happily ever after. You don't want to be living with someone who's just going to aggravate you every day of your life. So I'm going to tell you how to do that. Some things you're going to intuitively know on that list, and you won't be surprised, but there are going to be one or two things on that list that you might say, I would have never figured that out. Because we make assumptions, and oftentimes we're wrong. Once you get that list, don't make the mistake of saying, okay, I've got a couple of these things down. I'm going to ignore those other several things because these are felt needs for your spouse. They're telling you these things are important. Don't say I got one or two of them down and I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Because these are the reasons you're, you're, these are the reasons why marriages are falling apart, why affairs are beginning, because the person feels like their felt needs aren't being met at their home. So your goal ought to be that you're going to grow with one another in the knowledge of one another and that you are going to become best friends with your wife or your husband. Amen? Because when you're married to your best friend, Divorce almost never happens. In our culture, it's not that difficult to divorce your spouse, but it's really hard to divorce your best friend. Amen? And so as we come to a close, I, I hope we've heard some things that would help us, those who are married, those who are single and hoping to get married again, Put these things into practice. The scripture tells us, especially us men, that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so we're at the end of the service, and that is the most important relationship. What did Jesus do for us? He gave us everything. He loved the church to death. He was willing to lay down everything for each and every one of us. 
And so if I want to become the man of God that he called me to be, and, and you want to become the man of God, and, and you want to become the woman of God, that first step always is making God a priority in your life by putting Jesus first in your life. Does that make sense? Because then he comes in by his spirit and his promise is that he's going to walk with us and talk with us. He's going to give us the directions and not be like many of us guys who won't stop for directions. Listen, it's all in his book. <laughs> he says, I've taken the time by way of my Holy Spirit to inspire men to write down what I think you should do in terms of making things work. So let's make a commitment to open up his word and to make a priority of him in, a, in our lives. Again, you don't have to be married to fulfill God's plan for you, but you do have to be committed to Jesus. If you've not yet made that commitment, whether you're married or single or single again, it'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer and commitment to him. Can we do that? So we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I acknowledge that I need help. I've blown it in, in many ways. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Maybe I've follow too much of the world's pattern. I don't want to do it my own way anymore. I want your wisdom, especially in this area of relationships. So come into my life, come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, with your love. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Three days later, rising again. Because you live, I will live as well. From this day forward, I put my trust in you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm just going to pray for you. Father, you, you, you know that you've not, that none of us are perfect. We're all people in progress. You said he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And Father, we are your possession. I pray, Lord, that you continue to pour out your wisdom and your grace on your church in terms of relationships and family, that we would unashamedly say we need you in our lives to have a better marriage and to be better parents to raise children who are conscious of the things of the Lord so they don't so they don't fall into foolishness. Give us your grace and your wisdom and your love. Pour it out on your church. In Jesus' name. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.